0: to answer your question i think if you put something out that is of value both with what the needle picks up and with what people are looking at then you're ahead of the curve of a lot of things and you know there are bands that that put out really great looking records but i think their music is shit and there are bands that have shitty looking <laughs> record covers but have great music
1: Hey, Jeff, how's it going, man?
0: Going pretty well. How, how are you doing?
1: I'm good. Uh, thanks for coming to the Question the Answers podcast. Uh, so Jeff Berman is also known as Divided Heaven and, you know, has been around the scene for quite a long time and released several records. Actually, just recently, actually yesterday, uh, dropped a brand new single called They Poisoned Our Fathers, which is coming out via Smart Punk Records. And uh, yeah, I wanted to bring you on the show and just kind of talk about the new single, um, kind of dig into what's been going on in your world over the last several months. And um, yeah, man, I mean, ultimately, just kind of get a vibe for what "Divided Heavens" all about. So, you know, yeah, tell me for a little having about. Me. I appreciate it. Yeah, of course. Um, tell me a little bit about this new single that you've got, and um, you know, I, it looks like you have a collaboration with Lydia Lovelace on this, right?
0: Yeah, very fortunate to have Lydia sing on this song. I'm a big fan of her music. We played a show to about six people in Chapel Hill, North Carolina, a couple of years ago, and she was there. And it was—I uh, always—I had loved her records for a number of years, but I had never seen her live, and I never knew what she looked like, which isn't really a significant factor, except for when, you know. Her, her partner's buying a record from us at the merch table and she's standing next to him and I have no idea who it is until somebody fills me in and I proceed to go up to her and totally fanboy out and try to like play it cool so uh that nice kind of happenstance turned into a, you know enough of like a friendly correspondence that I, I felt confident and, and enough to ask her and she was kind enough to do it they poisoned our fathers is a song that I wrote about this recurring conversation that I've been having while Touring during the Trump years. I'm sure that you've experienced this as well, Andy, where everybody has a Trumper in their family, if if not multiple. And, you know, as we're waiting to load into shows or we're at the shows and we're just commiserating, you know, we say, I, I can't believe my father voted for Trump, or I can't believe this, or I can't believe my cousin or my brother is a Trump supporter. Like, what the fuck? I just, or I thought I knew this friend of mine and it turns out he's a Trump supporter, you know. And, uh, I think like-minded, tolerant people were really taken aback that people that they knew and loved were in fact Trump supporters. And it really kind of hit home with me, with my wife. She had a big blow up with her dad on the telephone and it it was hard, you know, and she was kind of pleading with him. Like, you know, you don't understand like your vote, you're making the choice as an adult. I can respect that, but your vote for such a vile person and just a fucking con man like Trump is really stings, you know, like I'm your fucking daughter. And like, you know, uh, she cited other examples about, you know, our nieces and nephews who are not, you know, entirely white. They're, they're mixed, you know, they're Puerto Rican and um, you know, it's, we're an American family. Fuck it. I mean, that's, that's, we're proud of it and it's great. And that's the tapestry of what, helps make where we live really unique in the United States. And I think Trump just shits all over that. And when you have people in your family that support him, it's not the easiest thing in the world to, to actually converse and confront about it. It's really easy to go on social media and complain about it or post about things or, or shine a spotlight on the atrocities that are, that are happening. And all of that is important. I'm not taking anything away from it. But With this song, They poisoned Their Fathers, I tried to add a very stark, very deep, very brutal, personal tone to what we are looking at and facing on a national level, if that makes sense.
1: Yeah, no, uh, um, absolutely. And you you touch on something that I think is really uh, a a very huge, important thing for all of us to recognize in, in that there's like this generational thing that happens. I think, you know, it happens over and over and over and over again, where, you know, as, you know, people who are like, I don't don't know how old you are. Like I'm 42. I'm 38. So, yeah. So so we're approximately around the same, you know, age group uh, per se, but, you know, like my dad who's passed on, um, you know, I, I'm guessing here, but I think that he probably would have voted for Trump and, that would have just made me so mad, you know? <laughs> and, you know, just thinking to myself, Jesus, dude, like my dad was, a, my dad was not a, an unintelligent guy. Like he was a very smart guy. And to just think that somebody with any level of like intelligence can just not see through that fucker, you know, for ever been to Yeah,
0: have you ever been is. to, yeah, to Times Square? I'm sorry? Have you ever been to Times Square? I'm sorry to interrupt you. No, I have. Yeah. Yeah. So if you've been to Times Square, and you guys have probably played elsewhere in the city where you get a, a sense of real New York, a, a slice of life, you know. But you go to Times Square and you think, like, this is horseshit. This is, like, the worst place on earth. But it's filled with people who were mes- mesmerized by the Naked Cowboy or by the Bubba Gump Shrimp Company restaurant or, you know, the MTV building. Like, And, and I'm, I'm not knocking those places or those street performers, but, like, there's a reason why those people are able to do that there because it's people from elsewhere that come to new york that go and experience all of that and they're really impressed by it so i, I think you know and, and my sympathies for you for your father uh passing on um but Thanks. i to your to your point about the kind of generational divide um thankfully my father is not a trump supporter and i had to call him last week and say i have this song coming out it's it's kind of purposefully offensive and really vulgar and it's called they poisoned our fathers and it's about all this, but it's not about you. And he was like, well, you know, I didn't vote for him and I need you to know that. And I was like, I I got it. It's not about you, but I just, I I needed to kind of clarify that. But I think like there's a lot of people who were just like fooled by this like con man who they, you know, it's the equivalent of going to times square and being, impressed by somebody who's dressed up as Michael Jackson when clearly it's not Michael Jackson. It's a dude who lives in Queens, like more power to that Michael Jackson impersonator. And I'm not saying inherently that they're a con, but they're a gimmick. And Trump is a gimmick. His brand is a gimmick. His fortune, we've now found out, is a gimmick. It's all a gimmick is a nice way of saying it's all fucking bullshit. So for people to have uh, taken the bait in 2016, for whatever reason, um, I take issue and offense to that because I'm a hyper liberal, very sensitive person. Um, four years later, I don't see an excuse for it at all. Right. Um, and I wanted this song to represent that, and you know, I-, I wanted it to kind of be represented by a female, a strong female voice. Um, I love my wife dearly, but she's not the greatest singer. So I asked Lydia to sing, and and uh, I thought that was important to have that represented. And I also wanted to be really venomous and vicious with what I was saying, you know. And the first line of the song is "Your father fucked a ghost last night." You know, it's because he's. I can't rationalize with a Trump supporter because I I'm not one, but my guess is is that for anybody that's attracted to that type of person they have to be fighting something inside of them. You know, I, I mean, I'm fighting multiple things inside of me and I'm not attracted to Trump or, you know, or taking on the, the notion of like this, this flag etiquette culture, you know, and all this bullshit. Like people are so obsessed with the flag and they're so pissed off at Kaepernick. Yeah. yeah, and, and to, to me, the only thing I could think of, I was like, Yo, if you care more about the flag and, and you're more offended by Kaepernick peacefully protesting, which is his right to do than you are about the things that he's protesting against, like police brutality and the systematic racism, um, then not only, like, fuck your flag. Like, my friends in Anti-Flag, they have a, they always say fuck the flag, and that's, like, their thing, and I love them for it. I was like, how can I be more disgusting than that? So I was like, if you, if you care about the flag so much, why don't you fucking come on it? So the line that Lydia sings is, come on the flag their God holds your bloody rag. Mm -hmm. And I've already gotten emails and calls about it. Where people are like, some people are like, oh, that's pretty cool. Some people are like, that's brilliant. And some (laughs) people are like, I really don't appreciate that. And I'm like, well, there it is. You know,
1: that's American in a nutshell, man.
0: Yeah. Like your candidate is sending emails. My wife signed up for Trump emails. I can't believe it. She's like, (laughs) I need to know what they're saying about us. But it's so telling. Like, you know, as somebody who, is an anti fascist, but I don't belong to Antifa because Antifa is not an organization, but people right. don't realize it. But as someone who is an anti fascist, no. yeah. yeah, and someone who is a Democrat and someone who gets health care through the Affordable Care Act, I've been called the enemy in these emails from the Trump campaign and from Trump himself in his speeches. I've been called uh, a, a loser, um, I've been called a snake. you know, just for being like a good considerate person that I am and, and different politically, I'm not saying anything about these Trump supporters. I'm not going for the the jugular and insulting them below the belt, but I do think they're poisoned. And, and so that was, that was the the tone that I felt like I needed to set. If I was going to, I'm a political person, and a lot of my divided heaven songs are inherently political, but they're not overtly political. If I was going to put my political foot forward, I needed it to be borderline disgusting because I felt like that's what I need to fight with if 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 you're going to support this guy who openly mocks the disabled and the handicapped and calls women disgusting names, then, yeah. Ejaculate yeah. on your flag and then when you're upset about that, then maybe you can come to the table and we can have a conversation.
1: This country has certainly lost its way in a lot of ways, man. Like yeah. I mean, I'm
0: I'm able to to empathize with people. If somebody were to come up to me and say, uh, I'm I'm a veteran, I was in Afghanistan, I would look them in the eye and thank them for their service and I would explain to them that the line of that the, the come on the flag song is, is or line rather is um it's directed at the inherent and untrue significance of a pattern piece of fabric. You know, I, I am grateful for what our armed service men and women and our transgender service members as well are willing to sacrifice. I get that. But where I think where will we could come together is to say um you know the f- the flag is is just representing the bigger thing i respect your time there i respect what you did i um can't fathom being willing to lay down my life in order f- for this country but that doesn't make you more patriotic than no me. that's all that's all bullshit you know if someone were to say well my grandfather you know, fought in this, and this represents this for me, and the flag represents this for my family. I would say, no, your grandfather represents that for your family, and your grandfather should be honored. But we don't need to honor him w- with a a flag or a Star Spangled Banner before every football game or wrestling match or, or whatever. You can honor him by living a good life and setting a good example. You, you know, I wanted to be offensive, but I, I I have to be clear with people too that like, I'm I'm not a nihilist i'm not a fascist i'm not an anarchist you know i'm a rational person that believes in what's right and and what's wrong and i think the the patriotic uh, monopoly of the flag is is dead wrong
1: absolutely and i i feel like this bastardization of utilizing this symbol to be a one stop shop for what patriotism is. And, you know, only this version of patriotism is correct and in that you have to align it specifically and only in this way is so counterintuitive to what the spirit of what it's all about is where I just, it, it bothers me so much when people hide behind it as like this symbol of like, this is the only truth that we have, you know, when it's it's gray like there is no red white and blue it's gray you know and we live in this crazy melting pot and we have all these different ideas and we should evolve like we shouldn't just stick to like this one idyllic way of america being this way and this way only because that certainly has not gotten us to the point where we need to be um,
0: you know i wish that people cared as much about the care and the the benefits for first responders all these years later, as they do about you know the importance of the flag I just I, I, I think that's wrong
1: totally I, I mean look at lo- look at what somebody like John Stewart is doing, where you know years after his you know time yeah, a Daily fucking show-
0: comedian, a fucking comedian has to be the one that does like and all, all due respect to him, like if he hadn't done it and, and someone of his, his level of profile hadn't done it, who knows what would happen right. Um, but he he essentially just walked up to Congress with a mirror and embarrassed them and schooled mm-hmm. them and finally got it passed. But it was after so many people that he had fought alongside for, for almost two full presidential administrations, a number of those people died because they, they had sick and they, they couldn't pay for the treatment or, or they couldn't get the proper health care or there was bureaucratic red tape. And I don't know, you know. I could fall down the diver, downward spiral with this shit, but and you—you get what I'm saying, Andy. You, you get what I'm saying.
1: Oh, I—I I totally, I totally get what you're saying. And like, again, like, I don't want to make this entire you know podcast episode just you and I vamping on our discomfort with the Trump administration. But um, and because this episode's going to come out after the election, so I mean, you know, hopefully we don't have to continue with that. But um, you know, heading back towards like more of the music side of things. So with with this new single, um, you know, it's an extension of, of the work that you've done in previous years. Now, is this the first single from many that are coming down the pike? Do you have a lot more music that you're going to be releasing uh, in the next few months?
0: I don't know. I do know that there's a new Divided Heaven record on the horizon. Great. Um, I started talking to a couple of labels about it and they were like, can we hear the record? And I was like, it's not done yet. But I wanted to know if you were interested, and and you took my call, so that means you're you're interested enough, uh, which is good news considering that COVID has kind of fucked up everything else in my music career. Um, I I don't know, Andy. Like a lot of people are just doing singles and releasing singles, and then foregoing the record thing. I don't want to forego the record thing, so I, I kind of wanted to see how this single did, and I know that it's. It was always meant to be out before election day. The tone of the song. I mean, I mentioned the fucking voting booth and the second lyric of the song. It was always meant to be now and and timely. And that's why I'm so appreciative that that you wanted to talk to me. Um, I'm hoping that things settle down and I'd like to release another single or two before there's actually a record because that seems to be maybe the best of both worlds. It suits what I love, which is records and it suits you know the marketplace which is driven by singles these days right so we'll see yeah
1: you um you touched on something that as a person who runs a record label you know i i spend a lot of time thinking about this and like ways to try to like leverage you know uh the, the the ebbs and flows of you know not only people's attention but also their availability and you know, right now because of COVID-19 pandemic, uh, there's a lot of people who are at home more and it may or may not mean that they're listening to more music because like, for instance, you know, I live in the Bay Area and I would do a lot of my music listening during my commute. And then I would listen to some at work, but, you know, my job is, I work at at a tech company and I spend a lot of time doing like programming and then i like have to jump back and forth between meetings so it's it's tough to like actively listen to music during the day yeah when sure I'm, when i'm working but but i love listening to music and so i kind of enjoyed having that hour commute back and forth where i could just like dive into a record or two or like make a playlist or listen to a podcast but um yeah my, my i i try to think about my own behaviors with that and like think about okay well there's still a lot of good, good music being turned out every day. And there are, there's singles and there's albums. And, you know, I, I purchase a lot of music too. I, I'm a, I collect vinyl and um, you, you know, like, what do you think about the idea of releasing a new record in a physical format? Like right now, like, do you, are, do you hesitate to do that? Or do you think that that's something that you shouldn't hesitate to do? Or um, do you think that there's any like, weirdness around that at all
0: there's not weirdness because i don't think there's necessarily a wrong answer i Fair am enough, guilty yeah. of getting in my own head about it and there was an era of the band where we just we all got way too inside our heads about what was right and what was wrong and you know it's like every few years things kind of change and things kind of take on a different level of significance. Um, let's not mince our words. The biggest game in town right now is Spotify, and getting on Spotify editorial playlists is the only thing that can help your band grow, especially when we have no touring. And Divided Heaven is a is a great example of, you know, because if I if I may tout anything, you know, besides the new single, which I hope everyone listens to and loves. Um, It would be my work ethic and the work ethic of the bandmates that I've had over the years. We worked our asses off and toured a lot and we were able to sell a good amount of records because of that. And the times when it lined up with the Spotify playlist and and that kind of stuff, it really felt like we were firing on all cylinders without that. You just kind of feel like you're you're floating in, in the ocean somewhere because everybody's releasing a lot of music all the time now and everything is so oversaturated. Um, So to answer your question, I think if you put something out that is of value, both with what the needle picks up and with what people are looking at, then you're ahead of the curve of a lot of things. And, you know, there are bands that, that put out really great looking records, but I think their music is shit. And there are bands that have, shitty looking (laughs) record covers, but have great music. Um, I'm not a fan of Spanish love songs, artwork, but I'm a huge fan of them as people and as a band and their songs. But I look at their artwork and I'm like, what is going on with this stuff? Um, So I just, I use them as kind of an example because I guess it doesn't matter. And the fact that they are as successful and as great as they are just completely pokes holes in my argument. But when it comes to Divided Heaven and the domain that I have to control and the brand that I'm now in charge of, I do have to think about it. And sometimes I second guess it and sometimes I quadruple guess it. And then, you know, like in 2017, we released a seven song, uh, I'm sorry, a six song CD EP. In 2017, we toured nationally on a CD EP such a dumb idea that was so stupid like why didn't I? and we had a label that wanted to put it out if it was a record and I was like no I just I got so fucking in my head over it and looking back on it I I wish that I would have just added three or four more songs because we had them and had it been a record and then you know whatever but we overthought it and because of that we had a really strange album cycle because it wasn't really an album and it was self-released and we were kind of floating in no man's land so if if i feel like if artists are able to put together something that's really cohesive and something that's worth listening to and worth gravitating to then if there's a lot of people that listen to it great If there's only a few people that listen to it that's great just the same because it, it means something the the mentality of just throwing a bunch of shit against the wall and kind of seeing what sticks and having a bunch of records that don't look good or don't sound good or the mail orders fucked up like those things to me are just like the kiss of death anymore. So I don't know if that answers your question or if it was just you, you turned into my band therapist because you know, I've been going through 2017 in my mind over and over again because we have all this time now. So,
1: well, I mean, I, I think you kind of nailed it. There's no rules. I mean, I, I only asked the question because I just, I, I'm interested in your perspective. Yeah. Um, you know, I've certainly, I, I've been in a number of bands over the years and it's very easy to overthink things and to just beat them to death to the point where you're just like, dude, fuck it. Let's just put it out. You know, we're just going to put this out now because I don't want to think about it anymore. I just want to move on to the next thing. And that's unfortunate when you get to that point, because you want to be confident in what you're putting out, and you want it to be something that you're going to say, you know what we're doing this the way that we want to do it, and we're doing it when we want to do it, how we want to do it, because that's what we want, not because okay, I guess we're just going to do that, you know, or you know, we we can't make a decision, so we're just going to do whatever floats our boat. Yeah, but that it happens a lot actually. Um, but I think that as you grow as an artist, it's one of those muscles that you have to learn how to control a little bit better in order to reap the most benefit. Because an album does have a lifespan to get the most benefit out of, to your point, like nowadays with Spotify. You put your shit through DistroKid, it gets up there, it gets analyzed by the bots at Spotify. Hopefully it gets on to a couple of playlists with your single then then do the same thing with the next single. And then you put out the album and you hopefully do another single and all three of those get on some crazy playlist. Your monthly listeners go through the roof. All of a sudden you get a lot of attention. You get a lot of album sales. You get somebody who wants to book your tour and all of a sudden you're on to the next level. That would be awesome if it had worked for everyone, but it can't and it never does. It works for the bands that do all the steps the right way and are very good, you know? And I mean, you know, sometimes they're not good, you know, I mean, (laughs) it's it's funny you say that
0: this is Andy, this is where I fall into conspiracy theories because I think that there are jailbreaks around this shit. Like there are bands that you know, there's,
1: there is the payola thing. Like that's absolutely a real thing. There's people who have, who have managed to build very big audiences with their playlists and they've monetized it. And from what I understand, Spotify actually has pretty strict rules against any payola setup. And if they find out that you're doing that, they will cut you off. Now, I personally also have never experienced seeing that happen. So I don't know if that's a real thing or not. Um, If it were up to me, Spotify wouldn't be the biggest game in town. It would be Bandcamp. You know, it would, you know, but Bandcamp unfortunately is so artist driven because like it really comes down to the artist being the person to drive them, you know, people to Bandcamp while as Spotify is so turnkey because they have the playlist, they have the podcast, they have, you know, your full catalog that you pay yeah. $10 a month and then you have unlimited access to it. So I understand why people want to use Spotify. It bums me out that people will willfully use Spotify as opposed to just paying say five or six bucks to buy the album and they have it for the rest of their lives, but that's for another discussion
0: um well i something to add to what I previously said this next record that'll come out will be the fourth divided heaven record mm-hmm. um, and I would be willing to kind of throw my first record in the fire and say it's not applicable to my statement that i'm about to make but the new record that's going to come out in my last two records cold war and young blood respectively i w- approached with the frame of mind of longevity because i knew that the landscape of how music was distributed was going to change i didn't know what but Youngblood was 2014, and Cold War was 2018, and this next one will be 2021. And we've seen Spotify and Apple Music really grow into what they are, you know, in those last six or seven years. And we've seen Bandcamp kind of grow into it. I'm not so sure that any of those platforms and companies are necessarily based on longevity. I think they're all, gonna, they're all suited to do better than myspace did for music and as you remember that was the measuring stick for a good two and a half three years where that was all that mattered Mm -hmm. um and then when that just disappeared and facebook kind of became the thing and then it was likes and then it was it's like it's always going to be something else and and that's okay If my music and my songs and the physical records that we put out are able to stand the test of time where people can listen to them in 30 years and not be ashamed to listen to it, you know, and they hopefully still enjoy it and maybe even it strikes a a twinge of nostalgia, then that's the victory for me. I have a lot of records in my collection that I go back and listen to and some of them maybe just don't resonate with me as well, as well, and and some of them, you know, they make the hairs on the back of my neck stand up, like like the first time I heard it, and then some of it just didn't age well because it wasn't that good, and so it meant a lot to me at fifteen, but it means nothing to me at thirty eight. That's okay. I think in part because I'm able to still hold on to something physical with it, when it loses that physicality, and I'm tethered to these apps i don't think jeff in 20 years is going to give a fuck about any of this shit but i'm still going to want to be proud of the physical things that i put into the world and the physical things that i put into record stores which i hope still exist so that's that's the side that i err on that that's the direction that i want to go I work, I work at building the brand around the numbers on the Spotify and on the social medias because I understand that that's helpful for the perception of the band, but it doesn't actually change whether or not I'm writing good songs. I think I'm writing good songs because I'm working hard at them and I'm working with good producers that can help me and, and good musicians. So that, that's the most important thing for me. Um, and, and I think there's a lot of bands that kind of get lumped into the punk rock thing that like. And Bandcamp is, I think, kind of polluted with just a lot of bands, that artists that aren't good, but they can put it out on that platform. In 15 years, are they going to be stoked about it or are they going to be moved on to something else? Like Tsunami Bomb has been around for a long time. Divided Heaven has been around for 11 years now. Mm-hmm. It's like, at a certain point, we have to care about longevity because of, I hate to use this term, but it's true, but about branding and um, you know making sure that that we exist in 2023 and so we need to think about that now um and for artists that don't think like that i I have trouble getting as invested if that makes sense
1: yeah i mean i think that i think that everyone has the right of course to release music if they want to um i think that because music is subjective that even if your opinion of something you know isn't very high doesn't take away its value um to a degree but
0: no absolutely uh, absolutely no, 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 yeah and
1: I, and i know that that's not what you were trying to say you know um like i don't think anything you've said is is could be seen as like you know offensive <laughs> yeah, or anything like that but, i hope not <laughs> I, yeah i mean i i think anyone listening should hopefully take it at, at, for what for what it is and i i certainly understand what you're trying to say but um but it is isn't. It is an interesting idea, like, to think about, like, what is the measuring stick for, like, what is good, you know, versus what is not good. And um, the fact that you're, I mean, you are correct in, in a lot of ways and that there is a lot of bad stuff, you know, that's yeah. just out there. And it's just in the ether and it's available, which is inherently a good thing, but, um, and somebody may like it, but... Um, you have to kind of get through it all. And um, because of the way that these tools operate um, and people's bandwidth being limited and the, the other tools that we use, such as like Facebook, social media, email lists. Uh, I mean, it used to be shows, you know, up until about 10 years ago when the pandemic hit. And then, um, y- you know, you just, you had to fight through all that white noise to get the attention. And then eventually you hopefully build an, enough of a following to where it just sustains itself. But it, it is, I, I don't even necessarily know if it's harder now, but it's still hard, you know, to, to, to really be an artist that can do that and, and really make it work um, and in an authentic way, you know, like without necessarily having to, rely on your friend who works at spotify or rely on your friend who works at facebook you know for those little cheat codes you know
0: yeah i i would say that i think it's a lot harder now and i'm not painting myself with that brush to be what was me about it like sure yeah it's it's fine and if my time you know ends after this record or before this record then you know i stand by everything that i've i've done but i don't know man there's a reason why the same, you know, six or seven bands, you know, uh, how do I say that? There's a reason why the same six or seven punk bands headlined punk rock bowling, you know, all these years. It's kind of like they have a rotating thing, like every other year they're doing it. And it was like that on the Warp Tour for a long time until all of these screamo, uh, bands came up, but then as soon as they came up, it seemed like a lot of them fizzled away. Um, and and it's I think it's because like I don't know for for some for punk rock it's something that's that's so built on nostalgia, it really didn't have longevity in mind. Um, and so I would love to live in a world where the Menzingers are as big as Rancid. I'd love to live in a world where the Menzingers are bigger than Rancid because I think they're a better band than Rancid. But I I fear that they're not going to get to that level. So when it reaches a point where like the rancids can't be playing anymore, and and I'm I'm using these bands as arbitrary examples, totally, yeah. Um, You know, like a band like the Menzingers are just as important to me, or a band like the the Larry Arms. um, But those bands aren't as popular. I don't think those bands can carry the weight and be, you know, the headliners of these festivals that need to sell you know, 15,000 tickets or something, prove me wrong. You know, I hope I'm wrong because I don't want things like that to disappear. But like, you know, like no effects are a great band and they've been doing it for so long and they've done so much for so many smaller bands, but it's maybe with the exception of rise against or against me, there aren't, it doesn't seem like there's enough bands of this, of the next generation that like, we're able to make it to that level. And so when you look at the, the genre, like, you know, you can be immersed in the punk rock subculture and not give two shits about no effects and and be fine because there's so much good music out there. But I, I worry about the longevity of the music because I think at a certain point it does kind of revolve around some of the elder statesmen doing stuff that's important and, there doesn't seem to be a whole lot of those bigger bands that can really do that. I, I don't know. Maybe that's, maybe that's a stupid way of looking at it now that I think about it, but I, I don't know. It, it's something that I, uh, my friends and I talk about all the time when, when we go to those festivals, it's like, well, like we'd love to see a red city radio become that big or somebody like that, but it just, and it's not a knock on them at all. It just doesn't look like it's in the cards for it to happen like they're just kind of like they've a lot of these bands have kind of like hit a glass ceiling and they can't break through like a lot of these other bands did and maybe I'm full shit and it doesn't have anything to do with the longevity of the, of the subculture or anything like that I don't know
1: yeah I mean you know I, I think that there is something to be said about like the cards being stacked against you know you if you're like a smaller or mid-level band with respect to how it differs for like a band like say rancid you know, we're a band, yeah. like, no effects where, you know, like automatically, if no effects comes out with like a new single, it's going to be on like every playlist. It's going to be in like every new out- news outlet. It's going to be getting a lot of attention and it's not that they don't deserve it. Um, it doesn't mean it's any good, you know? Um, I mean, I, you know, I, I'm, I'm just, again, I'm, I'm just using them as like an arbitrary name. It could be ranted. It could be social distortion. It could be fear. It could be any band, but, um, you know, I, I I think that for a band like say Red Red City Radio or the Menzingers, who have built a, a pretty substantial following for themselves and who do get a lot of accolades, and like I see praise being thrown at those like those two bands in particular, I see a lot of praise being thrown to them quite a lot actually, and yeah. um, like one well of the things deserved
0: too, well deserved.
1: Oh well, sure, yeah, and um, yeah. you know, I I think that one of the things that that I try to constantly be reminding myself of and that I talk to other bands about is understanding that the measure of success is a very fluid thing and that it's not always going to be set to the same, you know, level. Um, I mean, I, I don't necessarily think that we are going to see a lot of rancids, you know, or no effects. Yeah. In the next like 10 or so years. You know. And that was my
0: point. Maybe we don't need to. Maybe I'm full of shit and we just don't need to.
1: Well, and it, you know, pa- true. I, I think part of it is because we still have rancid and we still yeah. have no effects. You know, so they're still around. Like bad religion, yeah. dude. Like they've been around for 40 fucking years, you know?
0: And they're still going strong. They're and they're better than great ever. Great albums, you know. They're better than they've ever been. Yeah.
1: Exactly. You know what I mean? So so like or the descendants, see you know, like, they're still going strong, you know. So um I th- to your point of longevity, I think that that is a great goal to strive for. Is just as an artist, try to just put out good music, and eventually your audience will find you, and as long as it's good, it will stay with you. Um, now, how you define that and 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 how you evolve and remain relevant, and you know, use these tools that we have to your benefit is, is going to change. And, you know, if you are rancid or no effects and you've got like a strong label with strong backing and lots of people working for you who can help you maneuver all that stuff. And then all you have to do is focus on the music. That's obviously something that would be nice for every band to have, but they don't. So they have to, you know, not only be their own manager and be their own label and be their own PR person and be their own booking agent, but they've also got to write the music and then they've got to perform yeah. it and then they've got to sleep and they've got to work and they have a family. And that is not for everyone, you know, and to be able to continually put out good music and good art um, that, that resonates with people um, is already a challenge. But then when you mix all that other stuff in there, it just becomes almost impossible. You know, and so for the for the bands like Red City Radio and the Menzingers to have gotten to where they currently are, I'd say that's a pretty significant amount of, of a win, you know, and I mean, yeah, even for absolutely. you, dude, I mean, like you've got you've got like, you know, 600 people listening to you like monthly on, on Spotify, you know, I mean, at least that's what it says currently, you know, and I mean, shit, dude that's a lot like that's, yeah. But,
0: you know, the thing, but the thing is, it's such a mind fuck because at one point it was 60,000 and then it was 20,000 for months. And then it was 7,000 for months. And then it was like, well, sure. Once that last playlist dropped off, it was just like, I'm in triple digits <laughs> now. And I'm grateful for those 600 people. Don't get me wrong. Right. Yeah. Um, but it's just like, how did that? Like, it's, it's such a, a deflating feeling. Right. Um, and I, I don't know, I, I guess like there's a rush to like knowing that there's that many people listening to it. I, I don't know. I, I, another thing too, is I think that I've tried to write memorable songs and I've written some duds and I've succeeded in writing some songs that I think are really memorable for people. So I think with longevity in mind and the people that really like my music, I think they can point to a handful of songs that are going to be really memorable for them for the rest of their lives. And, and I hope that they're able to go back to those songs later in life and, and still enjoy them. That, that would be a win for me. And that's, that's, that's really my goal. Like when, this single, they poison our fathers was getting ready to come out. It was the first song that I didn't share with my team. Like my manager and my best friend. I didn't share it with my wife until like a few days before it came out because I I wanted them to experience it. I was like, if these are the last three people that are going to ever hear a new divided heaven song, I want them. I want to set the stage for them. We're in a, Goddamn pandemic. there's all this shit. I don't want them to hear it while they're walking their dog and distracted by picking up poop or, or whatever it is. You know. I want them to sit there and have a moment with the song, because we I worked hard to make this a memorable song for a number of reasons, uh, and in in a various number of ways. And I think people can recognize that, and i I, I think that people can recognize that about me and about divided heaven. In that they know that it's gonna be a quality song, will they like the song? will they not like the song That's to be determined that's I can't control that, but i I think people have come to expect that there's like a a level of quality there that you know is exceptional and and sets me apart from a lot of my peers kind of in the in the initial like punk singer songwriter world, you know um it, it, be, because when you deal with things like like the fest which is great but there's just so many artists like everything just kind of get lumps in and then when you try to really come up with a, ways to think outside the box to like promote your band or to be noticed on a festival like that it can be really unnerving because you don't even know where to start because you want to play to your strengths which is this crowd but you know they're also going to be doing other things, and I've spent a lot of time in the past two years thinking, I don't know if I want to do divided heaven anymore. I don't know if I want to continue to tour because I don't. It, it's it's so hard to kind of keep it going at at a level that is successful, as you know. And so, when it comes down to the songs themselves, it, it's all about making something that can last. And I keep coming back to I just I think there's a lot of people in our scene or whatever you want to call it that that don't think like that. And you can tell when you listen to their songs, you can tell when you pick up their CD, you can tell when you pick up their record where you're just like. This is B material, you know, and.
1: Well, I think there's something to be said, though, about, you know. Having something just be for the moment, though.
0: Yeah, yeah I mean, absolutely, absolutely. Yeah,
1: yeah. Yeah. yeah, because you can have both, you know, like, like kind of tapping into like what we were talking about earlier and I'm, I'm not going to dive too far into it, but, you know, this, this whole concept that, you know, you, you can support the troops while also <laughs> saying that war sucks. Yeah. Like yeah. those two things can live in the same space and have just as much like power. And they can both be true and valid mm-hmm. but for some reason, people get it stuck in their head that, that you that you can't or that it has to be one or the other and yeah. and I do not believe that to be true at all, you know and for for something like punk rock music in particular and it it can it can be it can be any music really, but but punk rock, I, I think just because we're talking about it, um, it is so inherently like visceral and you know cathartic and it's kind of meant to be evocative of like emotion and like this is what's going on right now like you know yeah and it can still have longevity can still have power that, that transcends the moment um because it can be any moment it could be every moment you know um and those those i think are the best songs you know that that end up being something that you can kind of just re- it's like yeah like this works now for me too you know like it worked then and it works for me still. And you can also write a song that is meant to be that from the beginning, you know, where it's like I want, like I want this to be something that's going to last forever, you know. Yeah. And, and it has nothing to do with just this moment. It's about forever. And if it translates well, and people can 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 grab that, and it can also be a timeless classic, you know.
0: Sure. Um, just to chime in, just to, so that Go your ahead. your viewers and listeners don't judge me as a complete asshole, um, I am aware that uh, I, I'm fully aware of the subjectivity of, of musical taste sure. and of musical artists and, and all of that stuff. where I'm coming from with this is that I want something more from a lot of these artists. And... I found that as I've gotten older, I need to look outside of our genre to find it, and it's not because of you know a poor recording quality or or poor distribution or anything like it's it's not that. Um, it's just that I guess I've opened up. I can feel something in an Adele song. I can feel something in a um, in a Jason Isbell song at in my 30s that I probably couldn't feel at 18 but I don't feel the same things in the songs that I felt them in at 18 as I do in 38 so it's part of my musical evolution but I'm a fucking punk rocker you know getting into this subculture changed my life for the better in so many ways that I can't even begin to to state how thankful I am that this music found me or I found this music. Because of that, I deeply care about it. And I truly hate complacency and laziness. And that's what I don't want to see. I, I, it's not that I don't want people to form bands and just put out music for the fuck of it if that's what they want to do, because there's certainly a, 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 a rationale to doing that just for the sake of doing it. But I want to feel something from songs and I want to be moved when I read lyrics that are really poetic and and really powerful um and if I had to pick one genre to listen to for the rest of my life where I could be satiated in, in that way it it would be from punk rock because that's what I love the best so I I guess what I'm trying to say is that <coughs> I, w- I want to push people towards qu- quality, not quantity. And because of the trappings of the various social media applications and pages and streaming services that all artists have to jump through, when you're the Miley Cyruses of the world, you can kind of just coast along everything no matter what the newest platform is. But when you're small, independent artists, it's kind of like you have to restart every time something new comes up. And by falling into the trappings, we're focusing on things that are only important in the immediate and they're not as important in the long run because what's important in the long run is the song, not where the song lives. It's important that the song is great and that the song lives. And I think that there's a lot of our contemporaries in the punk rock and hardcore world that maybe it's just the, the economy of time that they have to spend time you know, begging for followers and listens and editorial playlists, that it's taking away from the beauty of their songs and, and the poetry and their lyrics. That's what I care about. You know, that that's what's important to me and, and that's what makes me love music is if I'm able to feel something from it. And those big artists have the luxury of not having to worry about the business side of it in the same way that us smaller bands do. And I think that a negative side effect of that is that we end up putting out content that isn't a plus content because we don't have the time and the ability and the money to afford us to be able to put things together that are always a and And that's a difficult thing to deal with.
1: Sure. Yeah. I, I, I don't think that, I mean, I don't personally think that anything that you've said today, you know, is, is negative. You know, I, I think that it's fine to have a critical ear. I think it's totally fine to want to challenge people to try to be better, you know, at what they yeah. do and, and and be better at their craft. Um, I guess I guess a lot of it just depends ultimately on from what angle are you talking about? You know, are are you talking about, you know, is it supposed to be more musical? Is it supposed to be, you know, better production quality or should it follow more of a standard like song writing technique or like you know a- any number of things that you could point yeah. to right but um at the end of the day i certainly understand what you're trying to say um it's really just more of like a constructive challenge that you would put out towards right yourself. right and, yeah like i think you're good i think you can be better you know like you know your music just isn't at the point that i think is great i think it's fine but i don't think it's great you know and i I think that at some point you have to come to terms with that as an artist that maybe you aren't great, you know, yeah. maybe you aren't a fantastic songwriter. You know, I mean, I, like, I certainly know that I am not an amazing guitar player. Like I'm not, you know, I, I totally will admit that, yeah.
0: you know, same, same. You know? Um,
1: I can play guitar, you know, and I can play uh certain licks and I feel like I have a, a certain degree of skill that allows me to carry my weight in a band like tsunami bomb or a band like I've been in before, like snipers or good city Lies still, or California redemption, or any of those bands. Um, but I'm not going out here trying to start like a jazz trio, <laughs> you know, <laughs> like that would just be bad, you know? Yeah. yeah. So, so, you know, I, I think it's, I think it's a good thing actually to hear that from your peers, you know, sometimes, you know, it, it, and it, the delivery can be, um, the, I think the biggest pain point to get over when, you, sure. when you're trying to offer yeah. feedback, because if you come out and just say, Oh dude, that was garbage. Like that was awful. You know? Then yeah. And,
0: and I've, ne- I've not, I'm not doing that. No, of course, of know, course at not. All. You know, yeah. Yeah.
1: Of course not. Cause that's just, that's just, that's hurtful, you know, but you know, if, if somebody asks you for your honest op- opinion and feedback, I mean if if that's what they want and you can do it in a construct in a constructive manner that gives actual constructive feedback then it shouldn't hurt their feelings it should make them feel like okay like I trust you and I'm going to take that to heart and try to maybe incorporate that you know or they don't have to you know if they don't want Yeah, to.
0: And, and a lot of it Andy is is also on me and I I recognize that. I mean, I can look yeah. at something and and think uh you know, I don't like it for whatever reason or I like it for whatever reason, but like if I get a sense that it's not built around the idea of longevity or an artist is not built that's like that's me making the choice. That doesn't mean that it's not good. Right. or it's not great. You know, that's it, just me making the choice, you know, like I, I don't know if you're like this, but when it comes to, I love discovering new bands and, and really falling hard for new bands. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm, I'm a, I'm a married guy now, so I'm not falling for new girls, uh, which is, you know, which is great because it helps me free up my mind to, you know, be a family man and, and love as much music as I can. But when I fall for a new band, especially if it's a band that like, I didn't get around to listening to them. It kind of happened with the flatliners for me. Mm. Like, I knew them for like five years and I think I even played with them at one point. And then like just on tour, middle of nowhere in France, I put on monumental and it was just like, Oh, this is a very good band. Mm-hmm. And and I was able to feast on their catalog. And now with each new record, it's like, I love that about it. Um, and so I'm always, I'm always fiending for it. And I guess when I come across artists that, you know, they don't satisfy me in the same way i'm not as quick to give them a second chance and maybe i should you
1: know? well i think that's okay too like i i think it's important to keep an open mind and to at least listen to artists um but it's it's your opinion you know you ultimately can decide for yourself i think this is good i think this is bad you know and yeah if 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 more bands like the flatliners, you know, kind of are more like a slow burn, then that's just the way it is. Um, you know, quick, quick question. Um, as we kind of move into the next segment, if you don't mind, what was the last band? I mean, you mentioned the flatliners, like what's the last band? Like you just really dove like into like full stop. You're like, holy shit, this is fucking incredible.
0: Like I, I should clarify that flatliners moment in France happened in 2011 or 2012. So it's been a while. Okay. Um, but recently.
1: Yeah. Um, Cause I can say, I can say that for me, I think, I think the last band that I just completely was just, Holy shit. Moment was, uh, idols from the UK. Um, when they put out joy as an act of resistance and I started hearing that that's a good record. <laughs> I was just like, Oh dude, <laughs> this is yeah. really, really good. And I finally got a chance to listen to the whole thing. And it, it was just, dude, this is, this is the new shit. Like this is, yeah. Yeah. And then their, their, their latest album is just as good. And I'm just like, dude, these guys are killing it. And I saw them live and just (sighs) fucking, that's awesome.
0: Incredible
1: dude. Like best. It was the best show that I went to last year. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Um, this is going to be a little bit of a cop-out answer, but again, for whatever reason, I didn't I didn't pay attention to the Lydia as like a brand. Hmm. Like I just didn't know what she fucking looked like. I just, I didn't know what songs were on what records. I just knew a bunch of songs of hers that I loved. So once I met her and I was able to kind of go back and through her discography and kind of uh, listen to her music in a uh, categorical way, and not such an abstract way, whether it was on playlists or, you know, people sending me a song here and there. I really fell in love with her music quite a lot. There's another female singer songwriter named Sarah Watkins, who used to be Mm -hmm. in, um, uh, nickel, nickel bridge. Um, not Nickelback, obviously, but, uh, yeah, she was, she's kind of been in the folk scene for a long time. Her last record just melted me in my chair and it, out of nowhere. I heard her on Wait Wait, don't tell me not no. I heard her on um uh, uh God, what the fuck is that NPR show? Whatever. Oh I, Tiny I, Desk I should...
1: or Music from the Tiny Desk or something like that?
0: No, it was uh uh it used to be called Lake Winnebago, or Winnebago. Oh, what the fuck? It used to be called Prairie Home Companion, and then that guy came out that he touched all those people inappropriately, so they changed the name. That's oh shit. <laughs> <laughs> uh I didn't hear about that. I don't know about anyway. It. Yeah, it was the old host anyway. But so yeah, Sarah Watkins. Um uh I was late to the Jason Isbell train, but I, I, I really like his records. And he is he has, you know, four or five records, so by the time I came around to him, he had a lot to dive into. Um God, now that I'm naming all these people, I'm noticing an alt country kind of uh tinge. Uh Creeper, the new Creeper record is great. Uh it sounds like the Black Parade but like somehow more dynamic Hmm. and and like with like a little bit of a spookiness to it which is really cool um yeah i'd have to start with those okay nice yeah
1: and what about some uh what about some artists that you've come across in the last few years that people like may not be aware of you know that you would kind of like to give a quick shout out to
0: that is a good a good Question. Um, again, I, I don't want this to be a cop out, and and I hope this doesn't come across as too obscure because I honestly hope these bands are known. Um, I, you know, I'm not really sure what the next record in, entails in terms of labels and stuff, but I'm really proud of the Wiretap Records roster. I thought it was, you know, I, there's 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 so many bands now. I, I'm behind on catching all, up with all of them, but you know, for that period of time where it was us and, and radar state and tiny stills and get married and odd robot. I just, I thought it was like a cool, like a different kind of Southern California vibe and each band was different. So I give Rob at wiretap a lot of credit for that. Um, like I said, I hope people don't find those bands to be too obscure. I hope they've heard of them by now at this point. Um, there's a, a singer-songwriter that's now based in Vegas. He he lived in Phoenix for a while. His name is Dane Griffin. Hmm. He used to play in a band called Merit that I did a tour with. And Merit was, like, extremely popular in Phoenix and Vancouver. <laughs> and, like, did okay everywhere else. So that tour was, like, kind of lopsided. and But it was fun. Uh, and Dane is, is doing a solo record that I've been, uh, privileged to hear before. Um, it's, it's totally done and, and, and that's going to be really good. Um, I'm sorry, I'm going to have to, uh, take a moment here to collect my thoughts. Totally fine. Who else? Um, Emily Davis, is it Emily Davis or Emily Davies? I want to look this up and get it right. Sure. Um, it is. Emily Davis and the murder police. They're a great band from El Paso, Texas. I discovered them last summer. They're awesome. Uh, and yeah, I'm, I'm trying to dig into obscure and I'm having trouble doing it. Uh, my friend, Adam in Chicago. Uh, I, we're friendly acquaintances. We, we played together a few times. Uh, I, I wish I were better friends with him. Cause he's, he's a quite the gentleman, but, his band is called blind Adam and the federal league and they Mm. just released a scathing track, um, much in the vein of what I did. Um, but his focused kind of more on specifically kind of the Trump administration's treatment of immigrant communities Mm. and a very powerful video, a very powerful song. So definitely blind Adam and the federal league. And, um, I think my brain is is, is up at that point. Yeah.
1: I mean, yeah, like Rob with wiretap and the way that he's curated a, uh, a grouping of artists and albums over the last few years has been pretty impressive. You know, I mean, actually very impressive. Yeah. Uh, I've got, I've gotten to know Rob a little bit over the last year and, you know, he's a really good guy and, um i'm I'm super excited to see what's going to happen for next year i mean um i mean these last few records that he's put on, like the new casket lottery record new mercy music um you know i mean that's some that's some great additions to his lineup and you know to your point where he kind of started curating a, a big uh kind of oddball you know southern california kind of vibe for a while there i mean that's a great place to start
0: um yeah i, I give him a lot of credit for that and Oh, actually, I give him all the credit for that. Who, who am I kidding? You know, and yeah. the bands, of course. But yeah, it was almost as if, like, on one hand, he couldn't. It seems as if he couldn't say no. What's an artist? Like, he, he didn't say no to me. I pitched him on our record, and he was like, "All right, well, it doesn't really make sense, and I don't have the time." But sure, you know. <laughs> so, uh, but but yeah, I think it it definitely worked in in his favor, um, because you know there were a, a number of our bands some of them didn't really work hard but there were a bunch of us that really worked hard and like between 2018 and 2019 like i could tell like the second time we did a loop around the states for the cold war record like more people like pick up the record at the merch table and look it over and be like oh yeah i I know this wiretap label now this is cool like yeah Yeah. and and it was it felt good to be a part of that and i i I tried to explain that to him at one point where I was like, you know, I hope that we, I'd like to think that we served the label well because we were touring so much. And, you know, it doesn't necessarily make sense for divided Evans to take, get married LPs out on tour with us and sell them at our table, you know, but we'd wear their t-shirts on stage and and we really tried to make the label, you know, kind of a family outing when we were on tour because Sure, we we knew that that a, a few of those bands were doing the same thing for us when they were on tour, and and when we would play certain places, it would kind of surprise us where the dots connected. You know, like Detroit or Columbus or Rochester and Toronto, and it was just cool that you know, it wasn't like Lookout Records in the '90s or anything, but it it felt like a miniature version of that.
1: Yeah, I mean that's kind of like the the thing that I think any small label is chasing right now is just to get. A little bit of that magic that like say a, a lookout had back in the day where you know if like if i'm you know I, I run sell the heart records i'm in here in berkeley california like you know where fucking lookout was from obviously but yeah. if i if i get you know some email from some person out in say chicago or gainesville or you know dallas and they hit me up it's like man i really like your record label like to me that would be like everything's worth it you know just that that little moment. Um, I actually did. I actually did. I got a um, a postcard from. Oh, cool! Yeah, this guy who um, bought a, a record from one of the bands that we released a record from, and it was just this really nice, thoughtful, quick note on a postcard, and it was basically just a, "Hey, how's it going? I really like this record. Thanks for putting it out." Blah blah blah. Signed me. It was like, that's awesome, dude! Like, that's totally so unexpected. Cool had no idea it was coming and it just totally made my day and it made me feel like dude this is working you know like like all this effort is finally paying off but um yeah yeah man so i mean thank you yeah for sharing that and um i guess you know the the last question that i like to kind of throw at people is you know give me five of your favorite records man and if you can try to pinpoint like the five that you honestly could say are your favorites
0: Right. I would say my favorite record of all time is American Idiot okay. because I didn't know the depth of how angry I could get on a political level until I was, until that record came out essentially. And it kind of framed everything that I was feeling. Um, and then, you know, the the yang to the yin of that record, so to speak, are these beautiful poetic pop love songs like What's Her Name and Extraordinary Girl. So that record can pull on my heartstrings and simultaneously get me amped up. And it was kind of the record that I always wanted Green Day to make. And in a lot of ways it was a simple transition from being a three chord punk band to a four chord punk band. And Having one of those chords be a minor chord, and it was like,
1: "Oh my God, this new band!" Heaven forbid.
0: Heaven forbid. But, but I thought that that was—I I don't know. I, I graduated college uh, shortly after that record came out, and I just—I—I I felt it, and it felt important at the time. And I'll—I'll I'll always remember that. Pardon the pun. Time of my life, and I would say that would have to be number one. Cool. Um, the rest are probably interchangeable, but Shout at the Devil by Motley Crue. That was really the first record that I, I absolutely loved. It's a little bit metal. It's a little bit punk. It's a little bit cheesy. It's a little bit spooky. But it's, uh, it's dangerous. It just feels dangerous, you know. Um, what else? The first Jack's Mannequin record. Oh, okay. Yeah, I haven't heard that name in a long time. Everything in Transit. Um, I'm a big fan of Andrew McMahon. And when Something Corporate came out, I was in a street punk band and I had a mohawk. and I really didn't want to like Something Corporate because it was everything, the the antithesis of everything that I was at the time. But goddamn, I fell in love with that band, and I had to keep it a secret for so long. <laughs> and then when <laughs> Jackson Mannequin, he changed the moniker and and kind of did that as a solo thing, that first record just it just melts my heart. It's such a beautiful, beautiful record. Um, what else? God, the the last two I. Uh, I don't know. I feel like when people ask me this, I typically throw London Calling on there. Hey, yeah, it's a great record, man. It's a great record. But I don't know if it's in my top five. Oh, fuck it. I'll say London Calling by The Clash.
1: I mean, you, you, you are not alone. There have been a few people that have thrown it in there.
0: Yeah, but then, like, I don't know. Sometimes I'm like, give them enough rope is better. You know, I just, I kind of get, I, I overthink it. As you can tell in this interview, I tend to overthink what I'm talking about. Um, and last but not least, I would say the gray race by bad religion.
1: Okay. Yeah. That's one that, um, I, I wouldn't necessarily think would be on a lot of people's top fives from that band.
0: Yeah. One of the things that my friends and I did when the lockdown first started to happen, you know, just to kind of maintain a semblance of sanity was we started ranking records by our favorite bands and you know, bad religion have 17 records to choose from. So it it turned into quite an evening of three hours of a conversation like this. And, and during the course of really trying to figure out what record I liked the most, I mean, I bought that record right when it came out, I think I was in eighth grade and I bought it on vinyl. And I think because I didn't have the ability to overplay it, Like I didn't have it on a CD where I could take everywhere with me. It it always just kind of, it just stayed on my turntable for years. And Hmm. it's a, it's an interesting time in the band's career because Brett Gerwitz had left and Greg Graffin felt like he needed to kind of step up his game to make the first record without Brett as good as it possibly could be. And I I think lyrically all their records are really good. That one just, it's got some teeth to it and and uh I think they're at their best when they when they show their teeth um and it, yeah, I just I, I know I found that as I've gotten older, that record speaks to me a lot more than suffer or process of belief, not that I don't love those records, but sure, something about the gray race just works
1: yeah it's it's a really good it's a really good record, um but uh, yeah, I think more people tend to point towards suffer or no control, you know yeah, as the the kind of quintessential Bad Religion, and th- they're great records. But um yeah, I I think like Stranger Than Fiction, and like actually, you know, it's funny. My my favorite Bad Religion record is actually All Ages.
0: That makes sense.
1: Yeah, it's a great, it's a <laughs> yeah. super fun record. It's like, got the live yeah. albums and or it's got the live tracks, got like the demos and stuff, and just has like a ton of energy. And I don't know, I I, I really was drawn to that record. I think I think because it had the live songs on there and it yeah and it plays like a
0: compilation yeah because like the recording qualities are all subtly different and it's you know we're only going to die sounds a whole lot different than the answer and if i remember correctly in the sequence it goes from we're only going to die to the answer so it goes from really raw to like one of the slickest sounding songs they ever did so right yeah that 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 would be a cool answer i just i realized i was looking for that cd the other day i must have lost it years ago and lost track of it because I don't know where it is.
1: Yeah, yeah. But, I mean, I haven't I haven't listened to it in a long time, but yeah. like I wore it out in high school. But okay. Um, well, yeah. Like we're gonna end the show then with uh, your new track, and uh, it was a pleasure, you know, having you on here, and uh, you know, keep us posted what's going on, and thanks so much, Jeff.
0: Thank you for having me. I Appreciate it very much.
2: Fucked the ghost last night her name is Fear She walked him in, in the voting booth Whispering in his ear Cause he hates his mother and he hates yours too